The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, welcome to another episode of Sky Dragon Slay, where we bring you the truth on science and current affairs the mainstream would rather you didn't know. I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. As usual, joining me is Canadian astrophysicist Joe Postma. Well, you may be noticing that farmers all over Europe are rising in rebellion. In their thousands, they're driving their tractors to government buildings and spraying them in farm manure. But it isn't just European Union farmers who are revolting. Over here in the UK, British farmers are getting the message. Things are not happy down there on the farms, and there's good reason for it. And uh, we'll be getting into that in a little while. First of all, um, I just want to point out that um, this is something not being reported by the mainstream media. Um, myself, I did a few deep dives on this. And uh, time and time again here in the UK, the, the misdirection of the media is saying farmers are protesting about Brexit. It's nothing to do with Brexit at all. Obviously, some, something's amiss here. Um, we know what the real cause is. We think it's something to do with net zero. Um, but helping us make a, a better assessment of the issue is uh, Nigel Jacklin. He owns and runs Accord, a full-service UK market research and data consultancy. Jacklin is a professional statistician and market researcher, also independent network prospective parliamentary candidate for, Bre- for Bexhill and Battle. That's a semi-rural constituency. Uh, last week, we had the pleasure of posting on Principia Scientific uh, um, Nigel's article titled Farmers versus the Weather, Up for Tackling Climate Change. Uh, Nigel, pleasure to have you on the show. How are you today? Hi, fine. Thank you. Thank you for taking an interest in farmers and for having me on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here, Nigel. We posted uh, a few of your articles on Principia Scientific. You're, you're like us trying to get to the truth of what's going on. And, uh, you know, directly with farmers, your survey, you've been surveying uh, the the thoughts of British farmers. They're not happy. Um, You're um, running counter to what the BBC are reporting. I actually read a BBC article on the protests in Dover last week, and uh, they mischaracterise it as uh, discontent with Brexit. They're trying to make it look as if uh, farmers are unhappy with Brexit. But you've got a different story to tell on that one, haven't you? Yeah, Brexit is fairly low in in their concerns. Uh, farmers, I mean, it, it's not a particularly romantic occupation. Uh, it's fairly tough. Like any job, you've got to make ends meet. So their primary concerns are the cost of inputs and the price they get for what they produce. But in the meantime, they also just want to be left alone to get on with it. And yeah, uh... they're, they're kind of stoic. So the, the weather matters but uh, it's the weather. Yeah, uh, some of the quotes, some of the things I've been reading, and, um, you know, obviously you're well-placed. You're living in a semi-rural constituency. Um, You had um, 348 responses from 490 farmers, and, uh, you know, unanimously, their their fears are about rising prices and costs. And uh, the issue for EU farmers is this net zero nonsense. And um, we know that the EU had to backtrack. They did a U-turn last week and they rolled back some of the directives on net zero. Um, 
again, it's all about the climate, isn't it, Nigel? And, you know, we, we, we're a scientific show and we type, like to point out the nonsense of climate change science. There's not a lot of science in it. And uh, I think farmers, are they waking up to this as well? Uh, well, so I, I would say that farmers don't use the word climate. They use the word weather. Um, I, I think we have to give respect to farmers, many of whom will have been working on the same land for 10, 20, 30 years. And actually, we, li we live by the coast. We're not, um, we don't have a farm, but, you know, we're, we're supposedly at risk of rising sea levels. And the only time we've had a significant problem was about 30 years ago. You know, so farmers in their everyday uh, work see that this year is different to last year they're stoic and and kind of the weather is just something that they can't change and they have to work around so in the first part of the survey we just asked farmers an open question which, which is what are the challenges you're facing and climate change did not come up it had about i think five mentions the weather floods rain all of that kind of stuff was top uh, as well as uh, the cost of inputs some of which have gone up because of uh, climate-related, climate change-related measures. Let's call it uh, irrational interventionism, and uh, also just knowing that they'll get a fair price for their stuff when they come to sell it. They're, they're small businesses, you know. Yeah, the disconnect here is also the fact that during the lockdown, uh, major supermarkets they they were thriving. They made big profits. Um, and with inflation being what it is, you know, the, the headline inflation rates in the UK at the moment, they say it's 4%, but you know, most people realise it's probably above 10, maybe even 15%. And um, those people who are producing, those at the sharp end of production, um, they're feeding the pinch first, aren't they? They're the ones who really are seeing the economic downturn. Yeah, and there's, um, th there are these romantic solutions that farmers can open shops, but if you grow wheat you can't sell wheat you know you might be able to sell flour but um you're probably not very good at making flour or selling flour and you know if you grow a sugar beet you sell it in mass and as a farmer maybe half of your land will be devoted to one crop and so therefore you're highly exposed to the price that that you can get when you come to sell it, it it's a really tough business and um, probably half of land is run by small farmers who are on average or below average incomes uh there's a there are big farms and they're quite they're different and they may well have good representation by by industry bodies but most farmers aren't really well represented and they're having a hard time and they're, they're just fed up of being messed around yeah another In, issue i'm finding uh, the, the bbc i mean i I think the BBC really are the the organ of disinformation. They they tend to point the finger at the the far right, and they they kind of characterise the issue as uh, farmers are kind of going over more to right wing parties. And uh, this is quite typical in in the EU, where apparently uh, most farmers now are voting for parties um, that will kind of roll back some of these climate agenda. Uh, nar uh, narratives, you know, the idea that um, fertilizer costs are going up and uh, the restriction of fertilizer use, um, the withdrawal withdrawal of subsidies for farmers for things like more fertilizer. Um, 
diesel costs as well the subsidies for diesel you know farming diesel we know in the uk farming farmers diesel is is colored a, a different color um because it's cheaper you know and again it's uh, one of those things it was like a, a boost to the farming industry we always used to value farming in the uk because we saw it as a vital sector in the british economy as we probably all would admit you know the uk is not very good at actually feeding itself we import a hell of a lot of food don't we nigel yeah yeah um i think maybe half of our food is imported um we can probably come on to solar farms later um but this the point about far left and far right i i think the media are just completely out of touch because there's this whole other dimension of let's call it interventionism versus knowing what you're doing um and the fact that farmers are unhappy with legislation and action taken by defra and the government is all part of that these are people who kind of know how to do stuff but every few years the interventionist lot in offices who probably don't know how to grow stuff uh, create some new rules which messes the farmer up you know where, whereas they, they just want to get on with it and so the, the diesel point um my understanding uh is that when you break oil down you get a certain amount of diesel and so therefore it's got to be used for something it produces better torque um and in fact so i worked with the ecologist for about five five years and at the end of that period we, we failed to save it as a magazine um uh we were thinking about whether to get a new car and the consensus at lunch with the ecologist was to buy a second hand diesel mm. so that's what we did um and uh then then you less came along yeah it seems to be like there's multi-dimensional threat vectors here to anybody making any kind of sustainable living you know um i'm i made the point on another show recently i got fined 70 pounds entering the city of bristol without even knowing i was going into a, a low emission zone and uh again my oh, car wow. is 10 12 years old um it doesn't quite comply and again it's the solution by government is to go and buy a new vehicle again all the costs of, of creating that no. vehicle adding to the so-called um climate change problem when you know anybody with the common sense will tell you it, it's more economical better all round if you maintain um vehicles for many many years then, then again you know the yeah. production costs are, are not um impacting the climate uh, yeah yeah Postman, and in fact well, Nigel, yeah, you made the point you were interviewing a, a Lincolnshire campaigner. So there's this organization called DEFRA, right? I'm not sure what it stands for, but it sounds it yeah. sounds like it's yeah, it's the people who are making these policies. And she made the point that uh, you know they could do with more people working in that organization making these policies who have actual farming experience in their blood. So we have people who aren't have nothing to do with farming, don't know about farming at all. And isn't that the problem, John, across the board? People, the like, same with climate change policy. These people aren't scientists and they're not farmers and they have no idea. They have a completely different agenda. A compl they think that the weather is going to attack us and kill us, climate change. Uh, they're working under this proviso, that this premise that climate change is also going to attack everybody and kill everybody. And farmers are just like, um, yeah, we still need to make food here. And, you know, you have people like John Kerry saying, no, we need to stop farming because of climate change or else people will starve to death. I mean, what do you make? These people are so disconnected with reality, Nigel. Uh, it must be real awful for these farmers dealing with I mean, it's awful for all of us, isn't it, John? But Nigel, what do you, th yeah. what do you have to say about well, that? How are these farmers dealing with that? 
what what I like about um, Principia Scientific is is that much of what you've just talked about is what I would call dogma, um, and there are people in power. We were talking the other day about how people get to be MPs and who gets to be MPs, um, and you need a fair amount of intelligence, but actually part of the job once you are in power is to explain to people what's been agreed by the party. It's not to actually talk about what's right. And therefore, if you are the kind of person who goes into details enough and figures out that something's wrong, you, you're a problem. Uh, you're not an asset. Um, and so therefore, people who get power tend to be people who can repeat the agreed official line, regardless of whether they understand it. Um, uh, so I think that's why, so during lockdown, I think a lot of people who were particularly scientific, uh, it really did their heads in because conventional medical wisdom was overturned. It didn't make sense. And many people who who questioned that are also not convinced by net zero. I, yeah, I'm you neutral on it. Yeah, I mean, Joe, Joe, yeah, you mentioned John Kerry, and John Kerry effectively declared war on U.S. farmers himself. He, he, uh, government farm confiscations uh, are not off the table, um, he said um, last year. You know, and John Kerry, being the, the actually, you know, the, the man who's pushing the climate agenda more than anybody in the U.S., um, he's pretty much a servant of the of the UN, of the World Economic Forum, you know, and, and the World Health Organization. All these so-called non-profits that um, they've got an agenda, which is obviously to reduce the population. It's not um, a conspiracy theory anymore. It's conspiracy fact. These these characters like the idea of getting the population down to around 500 million. Um, what better way to do it than um, you know, create the false narrative that it's very hard to grow enough food? Um, when in fact we know full well the farmers, especially here in the UK, have done a wonderful job since the Second World War of becoming more self-reliant. And we, we've got initiatives now. I remember when I was a child, Nigel, where our wheat was imported from Canada. But but since then, we've learned to, you know, perfect the, the, the husbandry so we grow our own wheat. And we can make bread here in the UK quite happily. Um, again, technology being what it is, uh, we the human initiative can solve these problems. And uh, the whole thing is a nonsense from whichever way you look at it, isn't it, gentlemen? I think that's what gets farmers. I mean, in fact, during lockdown, we were talking to a farmer up the hill who had a herd of cattle and a herd of sheep. And so he was quite good at herd immunity, if you know what I mean. And yeah. he basically said he wouldn't go into hospital because you never knew what you would catch. But, you know, yeah. uh, the, these are practical people. And um, I, I, he, he's the guy who owned the tractor that you featured in the article, which was a very old tractor that they've kept going. It, it's probably um, a, a, a wrong tractor, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But keep your tractors going. Yeah, we're a great believer in um, the right to repair. It's also uh, people mm -hmm. are picking up on this uh, initiative that we should have the right to repair. And a lot of people are pointing out that the, the cynics among us are pointing out that appliances are designed to, to fail. They're built in obsolescence. We say that with cars now. We, we say that uh, a lot of the home appliances, washing machines, dishwashers, that kind of thing, after two or three, four, five years, 
they they fail and they're very very hard to repair we see it with electric vehicles don't we evs um because of the nature of the technology they are impossible to repair and you know the battery technology being what it is you know if you break down if you have a bump in an ev vehicle that vehicle's written off and the cost of a new battery thirty forty thousand dollars more than the second hand value of the vehicle itself um, we'll get back to that in a moment. Um, this is TNT Radio. TNT's Alex Zaharoff-Roy. The big thing that people are not doing uh, is using a virtual private network when they're online. So please do that. Make sure that you're also using things like a password manager. Make sure that you're using things like a, uh, a system to make sure that you uh, always get a Google authenticated code. Don't use the... Uh, SMS system that uh, sends a text message to you. Very convenient, but really not uh, the safest way of doing things because people can be simjacked. This actually happened to Jack Dorsey, the guy who's in charge of Twitter. Talking Tech with Alex zaharoff Wright on today's News Talk TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Welcome back. Sky Dragon Slaying. We've got uh, with us Nigel Jacklin. He's an expert uh, in market research and uh, he's done a wonderful survey. British farmers. British farmers are joining the uprising against draconian measures by governments and policymakers. To introduce net zero regulations, effectively, the new world order wants you to starve. They want your food prices to go higher and higher and, and don't let you believe the insane narrative that the the, the planet is overpopulated. We, we're not buying it. And um, we've had the same problem for the past few years with the pandemic. And one of the things I picked up on living in the UK is the amount of ghost banning, shadow banning. Um, and that only came about um, with the formation of the UK government's counter disinformation unit, uh, the <laughs> CDU, and the rapid response unit, RRU. They came about in 2020 initially to counter misinformation about Ukraine and COVID. Um, but they're doing their job now for the um, climate narrative and uh, they're working hard, Nigel. Do you, um, have you come across these characters before? Yeah, we attended the launch of... Um... The big brother watch investigation into it in um the houses of parliament houses of westminster um so i i did okay during uh lockdown i i think i had one ban i know which was lifted i i know a lot of people whose accounts ran into trouble um so i i'm i've been into surveillance or, or rather concerned about surveillance for rather some time 
And so this is quite open surveillance, really. It, it's uh, surveillance of things that people post on social media. And so therefore, it's, it's not intruding into their uh, private stuff, but obviously it's limiting their ability to exchange information. And that actually is a fundamental abuse of the principle of our ability to search for and find information. That, that's they don't want actually... us... They don't want us talking. Yeah. They don't want us talking, do they? I've noticed even that in comment sections on places like YouTube, especially, they have AI algorithms which seem to monitor what we're talking about, and they will sh shadow ban comments. I find specifically that comments which are intelligent, comments which are very well worded, comments which are insightful. Like I, I have a YouTube channel, Climate of Sophistry, and if people write me uh, really intelligent comments, that they'll write me via email, be like, "Hey, I posted this on YouTube. Why did you delete it?" Why did you delete my comment? And I'll read their comment. I'm like, that's an excellent comment. I would have never deleted your comment. So they actually yeah. shadow ban. They, they have their AI algorithm <laughs> to ban, automatically ban intelligent commentary because they literally don't want us to have intelligent discussion with each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've arranged for uh, this local ex-MP, Norman Baker, to give a talk. So he wrote the book, Who Killed David Kelly? And the management of the narrative around the invasion of Iraq war was what, in lockdown, made me feel, okay, big mistakes have happened before. Um, and his next book, actually, his most recent book, is about the way in which the monarchy have managed information. So it's not new, but it, it's just that with social media, it's a whole uh, different ball game. And if people don't realize that stuff is being suppressed, then they don't realize that they're not getting the full picture. Mm. There was a report um, by Ofcom, you know, the Ofcom is a, um, independent, well, allegedly independent uh, organization that uh, reports on uh, misinformation uh, on the media. And uh, their 2023 report last year said on, on news consumption in the UK, the most used platform for, for disinformation was um, television broadcasts. Um, Again, you know, and we're seeing, I'm seeing, you're probably seeing yourself here in the UK, pushback on anybody who speaks up to, uh, with a populist kind of uh, narrative. Again, anybody like, uh, we think of Nigel Farage, who had his bank accounts shut down. I'm thinking of Lawrence Fox, the former actor who lost his career and was kicked off uh, the media. Uh, had a probably, probably quite popular uh, talk show on uh, on TV uh, kicked off because he was raising serious questions that were inconvenient and you know one way or another they, they're going to get you Nigel aren't they well um, so we've been through quite a bit we have had a police raid on on our house although not related to um, sharing sorry, sorry it was related to sharing the truth um, so well, once you've kind of been through that you get to be fairly tough. Um, so I, I am working with a lot of independent councillors who are just kind of normal, decent people. And I think what, what we need to realise is that actually most people are decent and they've had enough of uh, this sort of fix-it stuff. So uh, there is hope. Well, I want to go back to this. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, John. Yeah, I want to go back to this Lincolnshire farmer, farmer you were talking to. She mentioned about, um, you know, she's been camp campaigning against the use of agricultural land for uh, 
for uh, for solar panels. Now this this green policy has yeah exactly. Don't let the sun go down on farmland. So th these green policies are actually environmentally destructive policies being claimed that they're going to save the environment. Now if you cover a field or just open land with solar panels, the land underneath that is dead. That could be even if it was just fallow land, wildlife would be there using it doing something. Uh, you know, if it's prime agricultural farmland, my goodness, you're going to cover that with solar panels. This is an atrocity. It's a literally, literally a, a form of atrocity to destroy the environment. These green policies, we all know windmills are just chopping up the birds like crazy and have other health effects. These green environmental policies are an inversion of reality. They destroy the environment. They don't help the environment, but it's claimed that, oh, they're going to stop the climate from attacking us when there's no such thing as a climate attacking us in the first place anyway. What do you make of these uh, these these green policies, which are so environmentally destructive, Nigel? So I'm um, a long-term environmentalist. When I left Ipsos, we kind of joined Greenpeace and were given the opportunity to go on activist training. Uh, and like I said, I worked with the ecologist. I, I find the net zero thing a bit too narrow. You know, the, the environment, it's a, a wide spectrum thing. It's broad and, and encompasses many things. And so therefore, focusing on one aspect risks uh, everything else in essence. Um, but we do have good news. Uh, so today we heard that some residents and the councillors in Lincolnshire had done a judicial review challenging the council's decision to approve solar panels on uh, farmland in Lincolnshire. And the judicial, so judicial review is a fairly serious legal challenge that you can take to uh, question a decision taken by a public body such as a local authority. And the decision, the courts ruled in favor of the residents. They ruled against the solar panels saying, that the decision failed to have sufficient regard to material considerations in relation to the policy of the development of solar farms on best and most versatile land. So not only, you're right, putting panels on farmland is bonkers because it doesn't do the land any good. They're putting it on the best land. Mm -hmm. So that's really bonkers. Yeah, you remind me of a story that we posted on Principia Scientific uh, back in July last year about Australian farmers. that They uh, were able to oppose a massive wind and solar transmission grid rollout. It just shows you the power of farmers. Um, as you say, that it's it's no accident. I believe it's no accident that they're, they're putting these solar farms on prime agricultural land. They're not using land that that is like, um, you know, land that's not ideal for farming. Um, it pretty much looks to me, and you know, again, you can make your own mind up on this. It looks to me as if it's a coordinated, intentional attack. And, and you say that these people who end up being elected in these positions—they're not stupid people. Um, they know what they're doing, and uh, I believe they're serving an agenda. And, and I think that the farmers, as you say, they're—they're um, they're the activists who really are you know, doing the most to, to push back because they really are at the cutting edge. That they're the tip of the spear, if you like, because. They're seeing, you know, the the, the meeting point between lack of um, ability to grow your food and the poor prices, the very poor remuneration for farmers. As you said, quite rightly, the average farmer in the UK, especially, is at or below um, 
you know, average income. They're not rich people. These people are subsidizing our, our, our food supply, really, in a sense, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. The the amount of money that the farmer gets for many products is not not great in comparison to the amount of money that the supermarket gets. So in theory, yes, the nice answer is that the farmer sets up a shop. But like I said before, farmers know how to grow food or rear animals. They don't know how to run shops. Um, and, you know, if you're farming wheat, you're not going to be able to sell the wheat to the public, are you? So farmers just need to be left to get on with growing food. Um, yeah. And the, to take the Brexit point, so problems associated with Brexit, I mean, so there was one set of rules when we were in the EU, and now there could be a different set of rules. So the problems associated with Brexit are essentially to do with changing rules. It's not that they hark back to the uh, romantic days of being in the EU and the common agricultural policy. It's that they just don't like having the rules changed all of the time, especially when they don't make sense. Yeah, um, we pointed the finger at politicians and uh, crony capitalism, where you've got policymakers who are in bed with corporations. Again, it's a very, um, you know, quid pro quo situation. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. We know that politicians are looking for donations. Um, we know that lobbying is an issue. I mean, in America, lobbying is a big problem. Um, Farmers don't lobby very well. They don't, you know, they're, they're not the best. They've given up, really. The big corporations, those you know, like the Amazon, the Amazons of the world, they, they do very well. Supermarkets do very well, but poor old farmers, they don't seem to have got their act together and they're going to the old fashioned route of uh, voting with their feet. And uh, we've pointed out that protests are occurring everywhere. And one of the things that struck me over in the Netherlands is that there's the almost the, the compulsory purchase of farmland by the government to turn that land it, uh, into non-productive land, if you like, that the land is no longer going to be used for farming. Again, another attack on the on the basic rights to grow your own food, isn't it, Nigel? Yeah, I, I must admit, I'm not a fan of um, Dutch tomatoes, which seem to primarily consist of electricity, water and fertilizer. But nevertheless, um, so actually at the moment, we've got greens growing in our garden. It's surprising what grows at different kinds of years, at different type, type, type times of the year. But um, it, it's, well, sorry, it's just this unnecessary and inconsistent interference based on dogma and i i guess you're half alluding to bill gates as well um yeah. so at my experience with gates goes back to 2005 when i was helping to measure the internet and he said that in 10 years time tv would be dead um and then half an hour later he was on tv and i just felt this guy is not telling the truth he he is saying something for his own benefit um and, and that's the problem. We we need people who are interested in the truth, who don't have any vested interests. And Gates clearly isn't isn't one of them. Uh, and his intervention in farming. So I think there's a lady in India who that they they got help to get rid of him. There was seed sovereignty in India as well. You know, so the ability of uh, basic farmers on the ground to be able to run things their way rather than let's say the monsanto way it is quite important 
Well, there, there's going to be movements to prevent people from doing things a natural way because now uh, there's organizations, I forget which university it was, John, you might remember anyway, it came out a few weeks ago saying that backyard gardens and uh, the smaller scale gardening, which is actually much healthier, everyone loves small scale organic gardening because the, the food just tastes better, looks better, uh, and it's more nutritious. Anyway, they're saying that that's now uh, more dangerous for the climate because it's more, it emits more carbon compared to conventional Monsanto farming. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? And people are making the point, well, you know, with my backyard garden, I walk to the back garden, I plant some seeds. How is that carbon intensive? Oh, no. Oh, no. It, it's way worse for the environment to grow food that way. It's way better to do the Monsanto thing and have all these tractors and spray your field. So they're, they're going to, you know, prevent us from from even growing our food at some point. I mean, what do you, what do you make of this? Did you see that article? John, do you remember the source of that article? Uh, yeah, it was a UK study. Um, I'm just checking it now. It's ran on climatedepot.com. Mark Morano, uh, who's also a fellow host on uh, TNT Radio, he um, picked up on this story initially. Um, yeah, carbon footprint of homegrown food five times greater than those grown conventionally. Uh, so growing your own food, a study found that uh, it's from the Telegraph um, study, uh, University of Michigan study. Yeah, uh, it shows that uh, again. I, you know, again, it's uh, you're going to find that the University of Michigan is probably uh, studies funded by somebody with a vested interest in in big agro, and uh, yeah, the, the impact of the environment. It says five times higher, 0.034 kilograms per portion of individual gardens. Um, yeah, they're saying CO two is is a bigger threat to the environment when you grow it at home. Um, but I, I'm looking at it now, and there's no accountability. There's no mention here of. Uh, transporting the food as we know food now has been transported internationally you know sometimes thousands of miles that's never factored into the so-called co2 carbon footprint is it yeah and when i walked into the back garden yesterday and picked some spinach and brought it back in i i don't believe my carbon footprint was that big <laughs> right and, no. and and there's this kind of concept of i think it's called prayer which is the health of food you know, our spinach is about 10 times bigger and 10 times thicker than the stuff that you buy in bags in supermarkets. Yeah. It, it's just so, so different. So we, they, they won't be able to stop us growing our own food. No, they're going to try. Um, they're trying to well, ban that's... us from buying supplements as well. They're trying to stop us having proper nutrition, as you say, um, it took a little bit of a dig at the farmers in the Netherlands saying, again, you know, intensive farming it was also not the answer. Um, you know, as you say, and I totally agree with you, homegrown food, home cooked food is better for you. Joe, you're going to make a point there, Joe. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I recommend everyone to try if you have the space at all for a backyard garden. You can even do gardens on, you know, uh, railing boxes if all you have is a balcony. Um, the taste of homegrown fresh food, it's nothing like it's so much better than what you buy at the supermarket. As Nigel was pointing out, his spinach is from his own backyard garden is so much better than the spinach you buy from the store. We really need to mm -hmm. promote that. I mean, this isn't to dig out farmers. Obviously, farmers, real farming is, is excellent. Uh, when you go to the Monsanto type of farming um, where you're just, you know, spraying so many chemicals, deadly chemicals, poisonous chemicals all over your food. That's no good. But uh, I think small-scale farming was really the best when we had the family farms, numerous family farms. It's it's become too corporatized. Uh, some of the farming organizations have simply become too large, and they're and and they and when you become that large, you have to go 
to the chemicalized, um, you know, Monsanto-based farming. Uh, I think it, it was better. Everything was more nutritious, and and uh, the distribution distribution was easier, and the freshness was easier, and the and the quality was better when we had numerous small family farms. Do you think do you agree with that, Nigel? Yeah. When when I grew up, we we grew up down a road in which there were probably ten. Um, forgot what they're called. Little. They were one and a half acre farms with greenhouses or, or, or whatever. I mean, economically, it's it's difficult. Um, we do need a volume of, of food, but there, there has to be a balance. But I, I think the biggest thing is that farmers have just had enough of being messed around with by people who actually are, don't know what they're talking about and are dogmatic. Mm. I want to go back to this uh, University of Michigan study, which has been, you know, the, the source of this big mainstream push to, to, to stop us growing our food at home. And uh, the author, the key author is a guy called Jake Hawes. He's a PhD candidate and he's the first author. Uh, and I quote, I'll quote this. He, he says, the most significant contributor to carbon emissions on the urban agricultural sites we studied was the infrastructure used to grow the food. From raised beds to garden sheds to pathways, these constructions had lots of carbon invested in their construction. Well, anybody who knows anything, I mean, my grandparents used to grow their own uh, runner beans and you grow their own potatoes and carrots. They were not wealthy people. The infrastructure was minimal. And in fact, most people who grow their own food usually are, again, very, very poor people. So again, I think this is a nonsense study. Um, they're very, very kind of spurious argument. Um, as we know, when you're growing your own food, you, you're thinking about cutting costs. You're not doing it to make money. Therefore, you're not investing in any kind of infrastructure at all, are you? It's, it makes a nonsense yeah. of, their, of their reasoning, doesn't it, Nigel? So he's actually saying that the carbon, whatever, it is in the pathways and, and the sheds, not, sheds, not the food. pathways. Yep, okay. raised beds. Yep, <laughs> that's what he says. We, we haven't got a shed. <laughs> if you doubt me uh, I, I, I suggest you go and look at the the article is actually written by my uh, uh, I, I, I don't doubt you well, you're not, uh, you're yeah. not building, you don't build a new a new walkway and a new shed every single year I mean these things will be up for 25, 30, 35, 50 years it, it's yeah. just yeah you're right John it's spurious it's ridiculous so arguments Yeah. anyway we're going to take another break this is TNT Radio Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions, China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that as this committee knows all too well, 
the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here on TNT. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. To learn more, visit nature.org today. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Yeah, we're trying to see the lighter side of it, a little bit of humor injected into the conversation. And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with Nigel and made a pun about uh, pouring a paint on some of these characters. You know, they, they just they are ridiculous characters. And um, you mentioned um, we need better statistics. And there's a conference coming up um, talking about uh, Just Stop Oil. Do you want to give us some information on that? Yeah, so I'm talking at a conference on February the 29th in London. So it's run by an organization called Better Statistics. And, and they've done stuff on inflation and, and things like that. Uh, and what's quite good is that there are, uh, let's say, people like us, and there are also people from uh, the ONS and DEFRA and some of the official bodies as well. So uh, it's quite a good thing. So I'm again going to be talking about the survey of farmers that we, we've talked about here today and the person who's coming on after me is somebody who's from extinction rebellion and and just stop oil so if if anyone's interested uh it's february 29th details on betterstats.net and there's a discount code for tnt listeners and principia scientific people uh, capital N E T Z E R O 15. So net zero 15, which takes the price down to just under a hundred uh, pounds. Um, so I, w- whether you, you've got opinions on just up oil, um, personally, I, I think them and Extinction Rebellion have done more damage to the environmental causes than Shell and BP combined. But anyway, well, it seems yeah, well, that like they. To- well, it seems I just like want to the say, giant, the, uh, yeah. these astroturfs. I mean, I'm, I'm, the first word when you make when you when you mention these people, I'm thinking of astroturfing. You know, these are fake grassroots organisations. They are not the will of the people. They are deliberately that they're actors paid for by big billionaires to come on and act as if they're grassroots, and uh, they're paid. They're paid activists. None of them are, is doing it out of principle. And we know full well the hypocrisy. A lot of these people will complain about you know, stop oil, and yet they're wearing everything they're wearing um, involves some kind of manufacture from petrochemicals. You know, from the trainers to the polyester suits, everything. You know, they're driving cars. Everything about them. They've got smartphones. Everything about them just shouts hypocrisy. And uh, again, it's, it's don't do as I do. Do as I say. Yeah, John, yeah. you're absolutely right. These, these people are absolutely paid. They're astroturf. They're just pay, paid, just like climate scientists are paid to produce climate alarming narratives, right? And uh, and yeah, you're right about the hypocrisy, right? Look at these. Look at the Super Bowl. Look at these events. These climate conference events where these rich elite, super wealthy elites are flying in 
on private jets, right? So it's really they're trying to set up a double standard where they can use, oh, and then of course they justify it and they say, well, I'm buying carbon co carbon offset credits. So therefore I'm allowed. Well, yeah, because you're, you know, a millionaire or a billionaire. So really they're going to set up a, a two, um, a two standard system where mm. they get to use the oil, which is obviously, you know, very energy dense. It allows all sorts of freedom of movement and, and wealth and, and high standard of living. And they're going to, prevent then it seems everyone else from from being able to have access to that yeah. doesn't it i i think the the hypocrite point is really important uh just down the road from where we live there is a big house with one of those extinction rebellion murals on the side and it's got his and hers electric car charging points so clearly these are people who want to have their cake and eat it and i think in the conclusion of my talk on on the 29th um, I will basically say that if you believe this, you have to act as if you do. And that means that, you know, you can't watch that bloke on telly who goes to away for a weekend in a foreign country. You can't have uh, lawns. Uh, you can't eat avocados. You know, act uh, as if you believe what you're saying. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the hypocrisy, I'm thinking of, of the... Uh, Greta, you know, the Saint Greta, you know, how dare you? She, she again is the epitome of hypocrisy because again, she flies everywhere in a private jet. Um, we know that 600 private jets flew out of Davos with the, the conference and uh, none of these people are going to give up anything of their own. They, they're they're going to expect us to give up. And the 15 minute cities, again, is the idea of uh, confining us into smaller and smaller units. Um, again, everything made of everything electrical. If, if everything is electrical, then they can switch you off at a drop of a hat. Um, they don't like protests, you know. And again, I think the point being that uh, they've set up with these um, surveillance systems, the fact-checking systems that they use again to to dumb us down, to have us not look into things. Um, I watched a very interesting uh, podcast by Whitney Webb, you know, the, the, the great researcher Whitney Webb, and he was saying about the uh, the AI push again. It's getting us to, to tap into this, uh, let somebody else do the thinking for you. Again, you know, don't do as I uh, do, do as I say. It's uh, Again, it, it works so well, doesn't it, Nigel? Yeah, and personally, I, I don't use that nav. We do, I do get into trouble every now and again, but I have these pieces of paper on which I write the route so that the next time I go, I will remember it because relying on um, the, the computer to do you or whatever for you just uh, means that you no longer have the thinking capability uh, and ai um well it, it just kind of normalizes things it uh it will get you the average answer uh rather than the exceptional answer it it, it means you don't need to think and we do need people to think Nigel, that's actually yeah. an excellent summary of how these AI systems work. That's excellent. You know, that's brilliant coming mm -hmm. from you. Quite, mm -hmm. you know, I'm really glad you you described it that way. Yeah, you're right. It gets you the average answer because what what do these things do? It's just an algorithm that scrapes the yeah. internet and puts together words that are basically the the best average answer that will hopefully make sense. And yeah, they've optimized that. It sounds good. Sounds like it's a talking system, right? But yeah. you're right. It's just yeah. the average yeah. answer. What, what, but what so do we what, actually need for progress is the exceptional answer. Yeah, sorry, Nigel. Yeah, when I was 18, I spent six months being an algorithm because I had to test and prove a stock control system. And so I did all of the mathematics by hand using a, a, a pen and 
and pieces of paper and a calculator for a system that in essence became the forerunner of the stock control systems that run supermarket stuff. Um, you know, uh, and so AI, it, it, if you slow it down, it's not particularly complicated. It's not necessarily clever. Uh, it can't um, understand and think and, and see things like what humans do. It, it doesn't have, let's say, David Bowie moments um, where there's this great inspiration or something. If, yeah. if it was music, just it, it would be all like, sorry, Brotherhood of Man, or, or I can't, I can't really think of the. <laughs> it would be like the Eurovision Song Contest. You're right. It's not sentient. It's not sentient. It's not conscious. Yeah. It's artificial. Yes. Yeah. Well, my my own pet theory about this guys is that i i think that uh, we saw it during the pandemic with these so-called experts i'm thinking of professor neil ferguson at imperial college cambridge who came out and predicted a million deaths from covid um again uh, professor neil ferguson a very prestigious position um government advisor and these government advisors are wrong time and time again they're, they're in position yeah. for years and years and years um they get these accolades and awards yet for being wrong. And again, I think that um, they they realize we're catching on to that. So the next best thing they're doing is to distance themselves further from accountability by having so-called AI, artificial intelligence. And we can just say, well, the computer told us to do that. We just, we're just doing what the computer told us to do. Again, absolving themselves from responsibility, again, getting themselves off the hook and uh, getting away yeah, with crimes. But, but Ferguson's got previous i mean if you talk to cow farmers about ferguson um that he's not their favorite person and um taking the post office scandal with the fujitsu system it wasn't the computer that decided to charge the the post office people it, it was the people that ran the system you know uh, so you, you cannot absolve decisions to to computers and actually what we've got is this situation where companies spend loads of money on uh, developers and software things where when actually sometimes having an actual human doing things would work a lot better yeah yeah we, we have this myth of the computer being you know like, like a demigod we, we we like to do that we, we've always done that because we're lazy as a species we are lazy we like to invent technologies that do the work for us and i think it's it's kind of um on the one hand, it's fanciful thinking, but it is dystopian it, it, because, again, it, I think they kind of set the groundwork with the Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator films and, um, you know, the idea that, um, you know, Big Brother's going to come over and, and run over us if we don't nip it in the bud. So they created the bogeyman. They created the idea that there is the potential for AI to be sentient and to have this kind of ability to be nefarious and, you know, destroy humanity. Um, and again, we're fearful of it and we, we don't want to rock the boat. And I think we're re reaching a crisis point, aren't we, in society where we have to say enough's enough. As you say, Nigel, you're kind of uh, you're voting with your feet there. You, you're not... Uh, you're not using the tech as you should do, you know, and, and without your smartphone, they can't track you. A lot of all this yeah. stuff is has a double-edged sword, doesn't it, really? They think they're giving you convenience, yeah. but effectively they're monitoring every little thing you do. Yeah, and I actually went to an Ofcom consultation, I think in 2018, where I raised an objection in principle to the move from 3G to 4G to 5G and spoke privately to the head of spectrum allocation. Um, so my objection w was uh, that that it shouldn't be compulsory because 
when I worked on measuring the internet in 2005, what I noticed was that when 4G came along, it would it would do some things better. And then what happened at a certain point is that your 3G phone wouldn't be able to use the 4G level software, you know, because it wasn't big enough, and and therefore you had to migrate up to 4G. So in the same way, 5G w w would uh, replicate that process. And the Ofcom bloke said. Uh, well, your friend will have to move to 5G even if he has a 3G phone because it will be compulsory. So mm -hmm. when in 2020 Ofcom uh, got local radio station Uckfield FM because uh, a nurse had uh, discussed the relation, the potential relationship between COVID mortality and 5G and then they, they did someone else, I wasn't at all surprised. So that topic regardless of what the, the um, conclusion is on it, it just wasn't discussed because Ofcom closed it down. Um, so God knows, yeah, technology, anyway. <laughs> yeah, politically speaking, I mean, Nigel, you, you also wear the other hat, you know, you're a candidate, yeah. you, you know, you yeah. like the idea of running for office. Again, the last couple of minutes of the show, just give us an idea of where is the solution? My own personal view is that uh, left and right, you know, left or right, Democrat, uh, Republican, Labour, Conservative, they're effectively two cheeks of the same ass. They're all uh, dictated to by the billionaire class. Um, how do you counter that in politics? So in the by-elections on Thursday, the number of people who didn't vote nearly doubled. So I think you're you are right that most people are seeing that the mainstream political parties are just irrelevant and it doesn't matter if who you elect. Uh, because they can't actually represent local people. So this sort of left-right dichotomy, what we're really on about is dogma versus uh, representation. You know, we've got the... Um, we're realists, I think, and we want to see what should be done, done. Um, and so I think there are enough people who feel like that, who are have had enough of the left-right dogma. Um, and... There are already 2,000 independent councillors in the UK who mostly just do the job of representing local people. Um, there are five of us, so far as I know, who are going to stand in the general election, and we're now looking for more people willing willing to do so. And if if there are to, if the majority of people aren't voting, um, all we've got to do is to get them to vote for us. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to things changing, and I, and I do like the idea of things moving forward. Um, just uh, before we last thirty seconds or so, Nigel, just uh, give us give us a, um, a flavour of where we can go to read more of your work and do more of you know research for for your for your surveys. So I will be. I'll put something about the Better Statistics Conference on Twitter, where I am at the Good Stats Man. So I'm the good stats man, or I'm on LinkedIn and, and Facebook as Nigel Jacklin. Okay, Nigel, a pleasure to have you on the show, and we're looking Thank you forward very much. to publishing more of your work. Thank and you. Uh, you know, it's a long, long road, um, but uh, fight the good fight. Uh, Nigel Jacklin, come and find his work on PrincipiaScientific.com if you want to check it out there. Um, we'll have you back on a future show, Nigel. Hopefully, do us yeah. more surveys and find out what really is going on with grassroots people. So, Nigel Jacklin, uh, thank you very much for joining us on Sky Dragon Slay. Thank you.